producers and creators are the sources of all value on the planet. MC Lobster, the host of the top-rated business and investing podcast Cashflow Ninja, is on a mission with Producers Wealth to help producers create, protect, and multiply their wealth outside of Wall Street in any economy by creating systems and processes that help them increase their production, provides them with liquidity, passive income generators, and opportunities for enormous growth. Learn more about their time-tested and proven systems at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Here is your host inside the dojo, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, we're going to look at life skills that matter and also look at the four trends that are changing work as we know it. I'm joined in today's episode by Stephen Worley. Stephen is a self employment advocate and coach, he is the founder of lifeskillsthatmatter.com. And he believes that self-employment is the future of work. He wants to inspire you to create your own work. Stephen also teaches self-management skills to the side hustlers, freelancers, and solopreneurs. He's been self-employed for the past 17 years. During that time, he built a sales training business and ran his business from Seville, Spain for four months. Are you an investor looking for passive cash flow but don't have the time to explore your options? Discover Real Estate. It's the best option for passive income that savvy investors have been turning to for years to generate income and build wealth. But the reality is real estate investing takes expertise, market knowledge, and time. So what do you do if you don't have the time or market knowledge? Discover how many business investors have found a way to generate cash flow from real estate investing. Their secret? They partner with proven private real estate investment funds. Four Peaks Capital Partners have created a system that allows accredited investors the opportunity to invest in undervalued assets to generate passive income and capital gains. Invest with the cash flow experts and sit back while Four Peaks does all the work. Call Four Peaks Capital Partners at 877-5-INCOME. That's 877-5-INCOME or go to privateincomeinvesting.com. An offer to buy or sell securities is only made by a private placement memorandum. Prospective investors must read the PPM in its entirety before making an investment decision. My friend Dave Zook from The Real Asset Investor says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. The Real Asset Investor team creates value for investors looking for high yield returns from multifamily apartments, ATM machines, and self-storage investments. Their syndications offer attractive investment opportunities that produce strong cash flow, equity growth, huge tax incentives. They are truly passive and managed by a world-class team. To learn more about the exciting investment opportunities the Real Asset Investor offers, such as their multifamily, ATM, and self-storage syndications, please visit cashflowninja.com forward slash Real Asset Investor. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I cannot wait to uh, share my cash flow secrets with you. Yeah, uh, glad to connect. Can you please share a little bit about your background and journey with my listeners? Absolutely. I'm not sure if you've ever had a reluctant entrepreneur on the show, have you? 
Uh, a couple. <laughs> a couple. Well, I'm going to add another one to the mix. Yeah. Um, expl explain to my listeners, too, what you mean about that. I, I am no longer. I'm now happily unemployable. But it, I think I'm a reluctant entrepreneur, I define it as somebody who pursues entrepreneurship or working for themselves out of economic necessity. So I got laid off election day 2000, uh, part of the dot-com bust in New York City, couldn't find a job, took me uh, three months just to get a call back to a freelance gig. And they offered it to me. I said, all right, I'll take it. So it was the first time I ever did anything like that to work for myself. And it freaked me out. And like the idea that I'm like, am I going to have to keep finding more clients now? Do I have to, how do I pay my taxes? Do I have to do my accounting, all this sort of thing. Manage, my, manage myself, right? So it took me five years of kind of doing lots of fits and starts of doing consulting opportunities and doing freelance that I finally was like, you know what? I got the hang of this. And not only do I have the hang of this, I'm getting paid better than my last job and I can work on my terms. Why wouldn't I want to keep doing this? And that's when it finally clicked in five years later for me. And then I ended up falling into an awesome opportunity, which we can talk about later, of building a sales training business in the broadcast industry, educating them on digital advertising opportunities where I built it up to a whole online business with 600 videos, 35 trainers. I was doing speaking and, and, and consulting all over the country, got it up to about $600,000 in revenue. And at its high point, I was working about 20 hours a week. Fantastic. Now, there's a lot of trends that are changing the way that, uh, that we're working. And it's very, very interesting just to, just to look at these trends. It's something that's always interested me, uh, me from an investing perspective, from businesses, because you can see trends kind of sort of forming and then it forms, it builds and it, it, it escalates. What are some of the big trends that you see out there that's uh, just changing work in general or the concept of work as we know it? So as you know, this is my passion topic because I feel like I've been living the future of work for the last 17 years to explain it to other people. And I think uh, there's been a failure in our society to properly explain to people of all levels of the economy and all industries and professions of what is really happening to work because MC is going to fundamentally change over the next decade in a way that we have not seen since the industrial revolution. And I'm not being dramatic. I see this pace accelerating. There's four primary trends that I've delved into from my research. Number one, I think a lot of people can relate to this. Things are starting to change faster and faster. So a lot of people on average are changing their jobs two to four year, every two to four years now. The half-life of skills, what that means is when you learn a new skill or when a skill is introduced into the market, it has a value for about five years on average. That's just across the board. I mean, that's going to be a little bit different industry to industry. But that is, that is something that means that we have to constantly be learning new skills more frequently than ever before. Learning doesn't stop once you leave school. Another thing that's happening is maybe we're all excited about this, maybe not, but the decentralization of management. More and more of us, even if we have full-time employment, are getting to work from home or other places than ever before. And we're also starting to use, especially in, in the tech industry and in, in creative industries, using more collaborative type of software like Slack, Asana, Basecamp, stuff like that, where we don't necessarily have a manager over us anymore. We're working with teams and we all know what we need to do. We can collaborate in that way. And finally, uh, or two things, we all, we've all we heard about automation. Um, automation, uh, for the research I've seen, it's not going to kill off as many jobs as we think. It's going to change a lot of jobs and actually create new jobs. With, with, whatever, whatever, with whatever you're going to end up doing, it's going to change that. Technology is going to be part of everything that we do if it isn't already for whatever, whatever it is that you're doing. And finally, our mass markets disintegrating into infinite niches. So MC... 
you no longer want to fit in. I was taught to work in such a way that I had to fit in. I had to fit somebody's job description. And now it's really about being myself, being yourself. Like that's the best option for you now, which sounds kind of counterintuitive. But the more that you can be yourself and, and share a unique perspective on the world, because of the internet, there's going to be a niche market out there that's going to really appreciate your view or how you work uh, or whatever your product or service that you've created for yourself. And there's going to be a higher value than that. You don't want to be the jack of all trades. You don't want to fit anymore. You want to stand out and be unique. We're in a jobs economy. We're in a skills economy. And the world has changed dramatically. Um, and the, well, there's the systems, uh, looking at the school system, it's not preparing and the educational systems, it's not Preach preparing it. people for it. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it, 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 I mean, in the industrial economy, you know, a lot of what we think of our current educational system was codified in the early 1900s. And it made sense for that type of economy where we were educating people to go into blue collar, white collar, basically very linear type of systems where things went from point A to point B to point C. We needed people to follow the directions, defer to authority, keep a schedule, um, learn how to uh, follow directions, as I just said. So that is not the skills that we need in the economy that we are now entering. Yeah, and I've also gone as far as calling the whole college thing almost as it's basically a scam at, the, at this stage of level because uh, there's a lot of people that spend four years in, in college and getting out of there and then realize that they don't know anything. And they or don't what's have worse, there's people who go two years and then they drop out and they still have to pay for those two years and they don't even have the degree. Right. That's terrible. Right. So it's a completely different world. I mean, you just see in the news day after day how there are all these skilled positions. And for some reason, as I, as I said, it's a, it's a scam, but it's done through brainwashing that people think that they have to go to college uh, to learn something and that's going to make them employable still sticking to that jobs economy where you have all of these skilled professions. I mean, they, they, they don't have plumbers or anyone that could, could get into the skilled Electricians. trades. Or, or, and that's the only thing that's an important point because a lot of times we think it's all about people who are going to use their minds, but there's a lot of opportunities to use your hands because not everybody wants to you know, use their minds or sit at, in front of a screen all day. I don't even do that as much as I sit in front of a screen. But I mean, think about niche organic farming. You know, there's just so many micro crops. There are a lot of microgreens that you can grow in urban areas because they have such a short shelf life. They are very profitable in a small area that you could be growing. Uh, there's, you know, as you, you were pointing out, plumbers, electricians, a lot of the skilled trades that we are still going to need that we're not going to be able to automate anytime soon. So there's a lot more opportunity out there than, that we, than we once thought. But we need to educate. I, that's one thing I've seen MC is that we have, we're not talking enough about the range of opportunities. It's too narrow. I mean, as I always say, most of us are trying to play by the old rules to a new game that we don't even know that we're playing. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. As far as money and as far as employment and careers, we're still playing by these old rules. And, you know, Stephen, it just amazes me too. One of the things that you touched on is technology. And it just really amazes me how people keep freaking out about technology constantly, yeah. thinking that, oh, it's going to destroy all of the jobs. Yeah, the Iceman went away the horse and buggy guys kind of sure. went away for cars. And I mean, 
this is technology that's increasing and evolving, lifting up our living standard uh, and our quality of our lives. And, and it, it's going to open up just like the internet was going to destroy all of these jobs. It opens up an entire new economy for us and in a new marketplace with enormous opportunities. And I think you could speak to that. I mean, could you do what you do as basically a, a solopreneur without technology? No. You know, it's, I mean, just look at the, the this podcast, for instance, right? right? So back in the day, I think my, my well, my first broad, broadcast experience was at a radio station during university in, in South Africa. So you would have to basically go in and pitch a show to someone. Yeah. I mean, that was the old way of doing I, I it, right? I came out of broadcasting. I remember, and I can't, that's the thing also blows my mind. Sometimes I yeah. feel like, I'm, I'm only 43, but sometimes I feel like I'm an 83-year-old man when I talk about technology because it's changing so freaking fast now. Yeah. You know, no. I, I, I just want to put a positive spin because a lot of times people get really wigged out about, you know, automation. But there, uh, if, not for, if you're from, not familiar with Elaine Poltfeldt's latest book, One Person, One Million Dollar Business, she was seeing research or, uh, in the census data of, the, of an uptick in the amount of solar printer businesses making over $100,000 and over a million dollars. And that's because of technology. I've seen that as well. I mean, that's where you get these efficiencies. I think a lot of times people get very intimidated by working for themselves. They're like, oh my gosh, because I have to think of all these things. I have to manage myself. While they're, yes, there's a learning curve. If you're going from the employment mindset to the self-employment mindset, yes, no doubt. It's going to be hard. There's a learning curve. However, there's technology on the other side that is going to make that a lot easier. So that way, I mean, the way that you and I even set up this uh, interview today, we weren't doing emails back and forth. We used a booking software, you know, and it's amazing right. how the vast, the general public still has no idea what that's all about. I couldn't agree with you more. And I actually made a comment and this was maybe on, on, on Twitter because I just see the scarcity mindset of, yes. oh my goodness, scarcity. It's like back to the Iceman, right? Which for, if you're listening to this and you have no idea what I'm talking about, people used to deliver ice to people's houses back in the day. This was before refrigerators, <laughs> the same yeah. as the horse. And, but, but it's this whole scarcity mindset of like, oh, they're going to destroy all these jobs. Well, I think just to add to that, I think when you're, when you're thinking about the only way I can make a living, the only way I can survive is to have somebody else give me a job. That's a fixed scarcity mindset. Right. But MC, how many problems do you think there are in the world? I mean, it's, you couldn't cover all of them. <laughs> I, would say, I would say infinite. So yeah. fixed amount of jobs, there right. are infinite problems. So when you start thinking of infinite problems and we're all creative beings, I, even if you think you're not creative, it's just because our traditional employment system beat it out of you, but you can reignite it. Right. But it's, then you start looking at the world and you see, all, I mean, like challenge I was living, I saw, I'm like, I can't believe this. I, as much as I love the benefits of the way I've been able to work um, as a solopreneur, it is now becoming an imperative. I mean, I see this as a huge education problem. That's, that's where I see a business opportunity. So if you're not, if you're, you know, just to kind of cultivate your curiosity, just start writing ideas or problems, even if they're like really tiny, just in your neighborhood, just keep writing them down so you can start conditioning your brain to start looking for problems and opportunities that you can solve and, and make a living from. That's a great, great idea. And I actually started it this week of writing down one to two ideas of how to disrupt the industries that I'm in. So Ooh, do you want to share any of them? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, and you have to look at it from a completely different angle and think if I'm going to disrupt the space that I'm in, 
How will I be able to do it? Because this is kind of like the new norm as well. And to bring it back to that scarcity mindset, you're so locked in, uh, as you were saying, just a certain amount of jobs, a certain infinite amount of, uh, of problems, which leads to infinite amount of opportunities with AI and, and automation. The same as with the internet, the same as with any uh, shift in the way that we work, the way that we uh, distribute value to others. It's going to open up an enormous marketplace. And I could see, I mean, more and more millionaires uh, being created because of that and not that the machines are going to take over and destroy all of the jobs. I think it's this, this uh, scarcity mindset, you know, um, looking for other people to solve your problems too, right? Or I call uh, it going, a permission-based mindset. I mean, that was the old right. system. We have to stop asking them for permission. You get to start working on whatever you want. That's why when I got laid off, I was like, no, 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 no. Nobody's going to decide when I get to stop working ever again. <laughs> right. Uh, no. I, just add, I mean, I've interviewed, I mean, you, I know you've interviewed tons of folks, but I've interviewed 500 plus entrepreneurs, many more beyond that even. And one trend I find, this is unscientific, but something I see come up time and again is when somebody leaves their job, generally it happens to be more of a knowledge type worker, somebody who is, you know, working with content, creative pursuits, technology, that sort of thing, knowledge. When they leave within two years, they are making as much money as they were making in their previous job, but they're doing in less time. And then as they build their system by year three and four, some of them are making double or triple what they were making in their last job. And again, it's, it's, that's where we could talk a little bit more of what I call this niche tribe model. It's about just kind of, you know, taking yourself out of that W2 tax form categorization and putting yourself into the 1099. Yes, again, there's that learning curve going through that valley, valley for that two-year period. When you come out on the other side, you're doing the same thing. You're learning more and more quickly, but you're getting paid better for it. Let's touch on this niche drive model and, and because uh, I'm, yeah, I'm very, very intrigued about it. And let's talk through the basic steps of how, how you set it up. Sure, sure. So I ran my last business using this model. Um, I also think it's the easiest model for a first-time entrepreneur to get their feet wet in terms of setting up a business because there's, there's four things that are going on when you are going to start a business for the first time. Remember, you've been indoctrinated, changed, educated to think like an employee. Thinking like an entrepreneur or self-employed, freelancer or consultant, whatever you want to call it, is much different. So you have to think about managing yourself, all aspects of yourself for the first time. You're not going to be told when to show up to work, what to work on, what, where you can have lunch, et cetera, what to dress. Uh, number two, you actually have to think about like, well, what's the idea? What am I going to be doing for work? How do I even validate that idea? Number three, uh, you have to set up this business, this process, right? Because it's not, you know, when you're an employee, you get plugged into somebody else's system. You're creating the system now for yourself. And finally, number four, you have to go out and get customers, right? And you have to do that on a regular basis. So this niche tribal kind of reduces some of that pain a little bit. You're going to have to learn how to manage yourself and you're going to have to go out and get customers um, but, and, and set up that business. But what you want to do is you want to, if you can, you want to be making money from something that you already know. Like in my case, I knew I had a lot of knowledge about broadcasting and digital marketing. The next thing you want to do is you want to be serving people that are familiar with you or know you. Um, so you have that known quantity, that tribe. They've already accepted you. So the idea here, MC, is that you want to be the blank for blank. You want to be the expert for X for this group of people. You want to be, you can't just be a graphic designer anymore. You have to be the graphic designer for dentists in Manhattan. 
because that once again, people like buying from people that they know that they're familiar with. It's that social proof kind of energy. The other thing that when you're a first time entrepreneur, you don't like running out and having to get clients. You know, it's very, very exhausting. People get very frustrated, disillusioned by that process. But if you do this niche model, right, when you go into the tribe and you work with a couple of clients, you have some good success at social proof, they want to recommend you to other people in their tribe. So all of a sudden, it's kind of like a virtuous vortex that people start coming to you. You don't have to chase them down. That's what I was able to do in my last business. And I could break that down for you, but if you want to jump in with any questions. Yeah, let's uh, let's break that down. Um, but before we do that, I, actually, another question that came to mind right now is you make a, a, a lot of good points here of, of establishing that that tribe, right? And that network. And it's all about, I mean, businesses as people and, and, and relationships. It's trust. And what I'm actually right. advocating here, it's how do we accelerate the trust process in an authentic way? Right. Right, and this is all. The, this is all about the long game as well, because this this is going to take a commitment from you, a, a de- dedicated daily commitment of establishing this and and building this. This is not something that uh, that happens overnight, because as you mentioned, it's. I mean, this is trust you're building, and this is why I'm always an advocate of habits over to do lists. You know, I mean, really, the two parts of the day of what you're when you're building your business, it's either creating your product or service and everything that's related to that, or you're connecting, you're going out and reaching out to people who are going to help grow your business. And I call them your members, your your customers, your mastermind, people who are your core support group, kind of like a team of advisors, and then your mentors. People have been down the path, are really skilled in something, but if you can ask them for insights, you will able to you'll be able to move forward more quickly. And I think I was a sales trainer, and every time I would meet one on one with Ease. It always kills me. I'm saying, like, I'm not going to make any sales this week. I'm going to make any sales this quarter. And I'm like, well, that's one end of the pipeline. Let's look at the other. How many phone calls and emails did you get out yesterday or today? Oh, uh, none. Well, that's the problem. And I think we look at business kind of, I, I look at it in a reverse point of view is, of course, I want to make money, but I know I have to be focused on the beginning of the pipeline. Am I reaching out and getting my message out there every day? Am I learning about my customers? Am I listening to them? Am I having conversations with them? Am I following up? Am I building relationships? Because if you're not doing that on a daily basis, you are not going to be making money. And also, MZ, I'm a huge advocate of really just starting to get to know yourself in terms of your communication style and preferences. I know I, if you didn't guess by now, folks, I lean more of an extrovert. I think MC does too. But there's folks I work with a lot of introverts and it's about really understanding what's, what is their capacity and then making the best use of their communication capacity because everybody has their own way of reaching out and dealing with folks. You're listening to Stephen Wardley on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. MC Lobsher is the host of the top-rated business and investing podcast, Cashflow Ninja, and also the president of Producers Wealth. Producers Wealth assists people in creating, protecting, and perpetually multiplying wealth in any economy through creating processes that help them increase their production, provide them with liquidity, passive income generators, and opportunities for enormous growth. Learn more about their time-tested and proven systems at your own banking system. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A 
www.realestate.com. You're listening to Stephen Warley on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and now back to our interview. And sticking to communication, being able to communicate in a certain way to that tribe in which they understand and what, you know, how they, every tribe and every area has got their own language, right? I love that you said that because I'm always telling people like, don't, like when people come to me, maybe they've come to you too. It's like, like, what should I do for my website, my logo, my branding, which I, I, how should I set up my legal structure, my accounting system? Like, no, that matters right now. <laughs> you know, how many customers have you talked to? None. Okay. You got to start talking to people. In my opinion, I think you really need to start talking to people upwards of 50 people to really launch things up. And you're going to learn like the first five kind of start learning to your point. You start listening to them. You start seeing what do they like about what you're thinking about or not thinking about? They're going to keep adding it. You should be building your product or service in partnership with your customers now. Not all alone. No, you're not a genius. I'm not a genius. You got to be building that. Even if you are a genius, you want to be listening to your customers. And that way, the language that they're using starts filtering into everything that you're doing. So that way, and language is what binds a tribe together. They feel comfortable. They feel understood. They feel like you're listening to them by using their language, not yours. Yeah. And I mean, your business will evolve. You'll start to add different services and so forth, just because from the feedback that you're getting from the existing clients and just people that you're talking to in the, in the marketplace. Yeah. And just to add to that, because sometimes people will say, well, what happens if they're all asking for this one thing, but I don't want to do it. I don't like it. And I'm like, that's a fair point because that's where I'm a big believer. The, the one of the first steps of starting to work for yourself is to analyze your most important resource, which is yourself. You're the first resource of your business and you're also its biggest obstacle. And you have to really understand what motivates you. How do you like to deal with people? What kind of people? What, what's the, what are the habits that you can see yourself doing every day in terms of the work that you're creating or how you're going to re- be reaching out? And if you're, and that's what's really going to start dictating. And that's where, if it's not, if you're not lining up where your customers want to go, then you have to maybe educate them on, maybe there's another way to do this as an opportunity or communicate to them why you don't feel like that's the best opportunity for you to pursue. And I've had, I've had to do that. Yeah. And, and you're, so you're, you're, you're basically putting down this vision of this life that you want to create. And then yes. you're building your business and kind of integrated with that instead of, creating another job basically for yourself. Well, back to our original premise, if there's a market of infinite niches, if there's infinite problems out there, that means there's infinite choices. Human brains are very overwhelmed by that. So we used to have, or we're coming out of the system where there's like the set amount of choices of like, I'll pick this and I'll be okay for 20 years or 30 years, right? Now, what do you do if there's all these infinite choices? You are the constant in that, that realm of infinite choices. So you have to understand yourself first. And that's, that's the funniest thing, MC. The number, the most important subject that has never been taught to us in life is how to learn about ourselves, right? Because right. it didn't really benefit the last system. They didn't want us to think too much. They just wanted us to be told what to do. But now we have to really understand what it is that we want so that way we can start lining up the right opportunities. That's really kind of the holy grail. Like, it's not even about, I know lots of time people, it's very fashionable to talk about, you know, find the work that you love, find your passion, all that sort of thing. You know, to a certain point, I'm into it, but it's really understanding how are you hardwired? What is your essence? How do you work? And then creating a work situation that lines up so you can thrive in that because there's just so many different opportunities. So instead of the starting point being looking for a job, the starting point now is understanding what is that you want, what lights your fire and how you like to work and what you're good at. Yeah, absolutely. And then finding strategic partners with uh, in other areas that you're not good at to supplement your business. 
I am a podcast editor because I do not want to do that all day long. And my podcast editor loves it. He does not want to be out here, uh, you know, looking for new clients and having a vision and spreading a message. Not his thing, right? Right. We all have our thing. And that's the other range of like, I I still think of him as an entrepreneur. I mean, he worked for himself, um, but he, uh, I think there's a lot of times where even in my old team, uh, I happen to be the, the leader of that team, the, the sales guy, but we had a video production person, we had a community manager, we had an operations manager, and I wasn't on top of them all the time, all the time about what they needed to get done because they had that entrepreneurial spirit. It was, And we all have that inside of us. Again, I mean, see, that also bugs me that we think that there's only a select few people that could ever be entrepreneurs who work for themselves. I, I strongly disagree. I think a much larger group of people could do it if we had an education system and a good conversation in our society about how we can all help each other create work because we're humans. We evolved to work together. We're survivors. We, uh, we don't generally want to have to depend on a centrally controlled system. And to bring it back to the reluctant entrepreneur, sometimes when people are forced into certain situations, it's incredible what they discover about themselves and uh, the potential and the abilities that they have. Oh my gosh. I, I always tell people self-employment has been my greatest teacher about myself. I actually just think, even if you're like, oh my gosh, I still don't think I could ever work for myself. If you could just do it for one year, you will learn so much more about yourself, your opportunities, and how you look at the world than ever before and super fast. It's almost like MC, if you like trained for like running a half marathon, and I did that and I never want to do it again. But if you, but I, I look at my health and my body and how I use my body and how I eat and my energy so differently because of that year-long intensive experience. And I think we need to start giving kind of a self-employment gap year to all of ourselves. Now, Stephen, what advice would you give to listeners then or where to start if they're listening to this and saying, this makes a lot of sense. I've heard MC uh, rant on about this, <laughs> this uh, skills economy and uh, how do I get started? Step one, you really want to understand like, what are you good at? What do you have today that is marketable? And if you're not quite sure about that, I know a lot of times we want to go to online quizzes to find out what we're good at and all that sort of thing. But I think it's more powerful to find five people that have worked with you um, and you trust and are going to give you a fair judgment to say, you know what? And it's not even about what you're good at. Ask them, how would they recommend you and who would they recommend you to? You're going to get such better information. If you're like, huh, I never thought of myself as that way. That's what you would recommend me for. And they're like, yeah, you're just so good at doing this. Because it's not about like you're a copywriter. It's like, what are the nuances about? Like, how do you do writing? Who, the way you write, how would that be good for? What kind of industry, what kind of person or problem would that be appropriate for? So that's step one. Uh, I would have a journaling habit, some sort of writing habit. I actually do a daily growth journal. It's a prompt because I like prompts. And the four questions I ask myself every single day is, what did I learn about myself today? Number two, what skill do I need to learn or what aspect of the skill I'm trying to master or improve do, do I need to learn or did I learn today? Did I meet somebody new today? And finally, uh, did I create something today? Because that's the other thing. Uh, that we don't do in the traditional workforce. We're waiting for permission. We're waiting for people to ask us to create something. It's very different to create something like without guaranteed payment, right? MC, you've been down that road. Yep. Um, but you got to do it to show people that you're committed to this and that you're also improving and developing your skill. It's kind of like back in the Middle Ages when we had these kind of apprenticeships and there's a kind of a path to mastery. And that's kind of what you're looking for. So I would, I would start that writing habit because then you want to start understanding what lights your fire, what really energizes you. 
Um, and just write down anything that you want if you just kind of want to have more of a free write. And then I recommend maybe on a weekly basis, looking back at what you've written to start seeing patterns and trends in your thinking. It's almost like the journal to me, MC, is like the new insight engine for us as individuals. You know, there's all these big corporations, you know, gathering up and getting insights from our data. Well, we could do it for ourselves now because the, I know it sounds so corny, the very Zen thing, like the answer truly does lie within you. Right. Absolutely. And I love that journaling part too, because one thing that, uh, that I've learned too, and th- that I see is you know, when you're employed, you're looking for, um, you're looking for validation from a boss or someone. Yes. Right? So you do something and then they say, yeah, that's good. That works. But when you're a business owner and an entrepreneur, the market will tell you yes or no. And that's, <laughs> and, and that can be very cruel, but that's the truth. So it's not, yeah. But you bring up a good point because our brains, just to like kind of like give ourselves a little bit of a break, our brains are hardwired to want to be accepted. That was kind of, that's kind of key to how humans survive. So we would work to, with each other because we do want to be accepted and be part of a tribe. Yeah. But we have to kind of, to your point, we have to kind of like change that or hack it or redirect it now toward um, building up a tribe of people around us who do want to see us um, get better, improve ourselves. It's going to tell us in an honest way to help us improve. Um, because even to, I think a lot of times in traditional employment settings, you really don't get really good, honest feedback. It's very politically organized because it's a hierarchy, right? There's people who benefit from being at the top of the pyramid. They want to stay there. Um, but when you're out in the world where you and I are, I mean, we're all roving around out here in the jungle in our tribes trying to survive and we got to work together. And that's probably why I love working like this most. Yeah, absolutely. And to back to the point of the market too, I think it was Damon John that was telling the story. It's so funny when he was testing uh, some shirts that he made for FUBU, he said, to, you know, he would stand on the, the corner basically um, where, on the street and asking people if they would buy the shirt to validate it through the market where in a hierarchical structure, or even if your family is like, if I went to my mom, she would have said, oh, Damon, that's fantastic. Of course I'll buy a shirt. Give it to me. But does the market with the market take, take the shirt or the tribe that he was trying to create? And I think it's another important point. As we've just said, what's your marketable skill? What's the thing that fires you up? But who do you want to work with? Like what subject matter topic or people are, are you excited by? You want to think about that because you're like, as I just went through this with exercise with a data scientist, right? And I'm like, what are you passionate about? He's like, I love travel. And I'm like, well, why aren't you calling on travel companies and giving them ideas about how you can mine their data? And his eyes widen. And he was like, yeah. Because when before that, he came to me, he's like, I just sent out 30 pitches looking for opportunities. I only got one response and they said, no. When I told them like, well, find things that you're interested in, give them ideas and share how you can help uh, execute on those ideas and why you're so excited and aligned with their mission. So as he was about to send out his fifth email MC, he emailed me and he said, I've already gotten three meetings, (laughs) not responses meetings. And I said, see, it works. Because that's the other thing. It's not just about your skills. People want to know like entrance into the tribe is like, are you really one of us? Are you just trying to sell us something? You just trying to make a buck? Or do you really believe in our mission? And that is becoming more and more important now. Now, Stephen, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Experiences over money. Keep everything simple as possible and be proudly frugal. 
I grew up in New England, and that is a big part of uh, what th people think of New Englanders as being frugal. And I tell you, that is one value that it excites me and helps me live on my terms because then I can really invest in other people and not be worried about it and do it much sooner in my life rather than wasting money on all this other stuff because society says I need it. Right, right. And I mean, that is super key, especially when you start as well um, in, in, a, in a business, um, just to direct those resources into areas that's going to play a longer game <laughs> and build and create this life that you want instead of a, you know, a brand shiny new car that, uh, <laughs> that well, you're going to drive into. You know, it's so funny. I do this exercise too, because a lot of times people want to start out and talk about the money problem because they get worried about how am I going to survive? How am I going to make money? And I have a lifestyle calculator. It's free if you want to go check out lifeskillsatmatter.com slash calculator. And it helps people understand what's the cost of their lifestyle based on what they really want. And it's a very different way of looking at things because we're always thinking about how much money we want to make. Because a lot of times people say, I want to make $100,000, Stephen. I'm like, where'd you get that number from? And they're like, I don't know. I didn't calculate. It just sounds good. It sounds, it's a societal status symbol. It's that part of wanting to be accepted and, and admired. But it's really more important to understand your number, especially when you want to work for yourself, because it makes it much more achievable. And I get so many emails back. They're like, oh my gosh, I, I needed a lot less money than I thought I did. Because then you break it down by month and then you're like, oh gosh, I only need to make $5,000 a month and I'm going to get to do what I want to do and have the things that I want to have based on like the plan that I've set out for myself. Like, and based on whatever I'm selling, you know, if you happen to be a consultant and you're doing $5,000 monthly projects, guess what? You just need one, one new client a month. So all of a sudden, I do that exercise to reverse engineer it to make this much more achievable because that's really my challenge is not just to like teach people the hard skills of business, but it's a lot of the emotional work that we need to do to shift our identity to be able to do this. That's why I have my whole business. It's called Life Skills That Matter. I mean, I'm teaching people about business by first building that foundation of life skills because they are more durable than any hard skill. So, so true. Stephen, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and connecting and providing so much value for my listeners uh, and just sharing your journey and your knowledge. Where can they reach out to you? Where can they follow you? And where can they learn more about what you, what you teach? I think a great place to start is the first five steps to working for yourself. You can go to lifeskillsatmatter.com slash get started. And I have a ton of free resources there to get you started. If you have any questions, you can always follow me on my favorite social media platform, Twitter, um, at Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-F. Um, no, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Worley, W-A-R-L-E-Y. Stephen F. Worley is on Instagram, but I hang out on Twitter much more. Fantastic. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. Producers and creators are the sources of all value on the planet. MC Lobster, the host of the top-rated business and investing podcast Cashflow Ninja, is on a mission with Producers Wealth to help producers create, protect, and multiply their wealth outside of Wall Street in any economy by creating systems and processes that help them increase their production provides them with liquidity, passive income generators, and opportunities for enormous growth. Learn more about their time-tested and proven systems at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. 
Thank you for joining me again on the Cashflow Ninja. Thank you for all your support. You rock. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at CashflowNinja.com or text CashflowNinja to 44. I'm also posting daily videos on Facebook and YouTube and will live stream weekly starting May 2018. To make sure you don't miss any of the live streams, please like and subscribe to my Facebook and YouTube platforms. I'm also dropping content on Instagram daily. Be sure to follow us on Instagram to get in on the action. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. That's our show for today. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.